0: Alright, hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Viva La Festiva. I'm your host Jacob, and on this podcast I like to talk about festivals that occur in the U.S. and occasionally around the world. Right at this moment I'm just waiting outside of work before I start my morning shift. I just had my birthday last week, and my wife and I celebrated my 31st by taking me to one of my favorite places to eat, and I didn't even have to hold back. (laughs) I even got appetizers. Anyway, everyone... This is the last episode of Viva La Festiva, at least for this season. I'll be taking the summer off, and I think I'll start in the new season probably around October. Then those new episodes will start coming out in the beginning of the year. I don't want to think about it too much. Maybe I'll do a Reflections episode or something where you can all just hear me ramble about the whole podcasting journey. Ah, Maybe that'll come off a little bit egotistical, you know. Well, today's episode is going to be about a festival that occurs in a different country, Australia? Hey. Yes, this season finale episode will be about Womera Steampunk Festival in Dumbula, Australia. Provecho! This Womera Steampunk Festival took place from April 20th to the 23rd. It sounds like it was a huge success. And what's great to hear is that it sounds like it has no chance of stopping or slowing down. But first, let's talk about Steampunk a bit. From what I understand, I think I remember hearing that a good way to describe steampunk is to imagine if the industrial revolution never happened, and the steam-powered sector instead progressed to adapt to everything from travel to production. Along with this, the practicality of leather and its insulating and waterproof capabilities also progressed and became the material of choice along with steampunk technology. Then when you also think of steampunk, you may picture a lot of brass, and that's because brass doesn't rust making it the ideal hard material for high pressures and moisture. So these elements, along with the elegant designs and fashion and architecture of the late 1800s, come together in this odd fusion of imagination and wonder to become steampunk. According from the book Folk Tales and Fairy Tales, Traditions and Texts from Around the World, the term steampunk wasn't even coined at the time of the elements being put in literature, but instead by science fiction author K.W. Jetter in the 1980s. Although a millennial such as myself was never really introduced into steampunk until the movie wild, wild west. You remember that one? (laughs) I remember my brother got the sunglasses that Burger King had to promote the movie. Damn, I was jealous of those. So why would anyone want to celebrate steampunk? Well, let's try to think of it in the same way. We look at the Ren Fairs we hear about. It's an era with some fictional flexibilities where people can challenge reality and push the boundaries of what's possible. And you know, sometimes you get this division of nerd culture where people are either a fan of Star Trek or Lord of the Rings. Of course you can like both, but both push the boundaries of reality with either two methods, magic or science. Again, I'm not trying to start a conflict because there is the science of magic and the magic of science. But I think we could both agree that Ren Fairs are more about acknowledging the magic aspect of fiction, while steampunk acknowledges the science aspect of fiction so just swap out fairy wings with leather extensions and replace your wands for pneumatic gray guns ultimately it's people celebrating their imaginations of their role in a fictional world so let's get back to the wimera steampunk festival as stated before the festival occurs in dimbula victoria of australia where festivities begin at 4 pm and end at 11 pm on the town streets of dimbula (laughs) dimbula what a fun word Well, according to a 2016 census, the town of Dimbula is just over 1,400, and based off the photos I've seen of the festival, it looks like a majority of the town is in attendance of the Steampunk Festival. Actually, I had found the Facebook survey with some results, and 47% of the participants live locally. 17% stayed one night in Dimbula, 18% stayed two nights, and 18% stayed three or more nights. So it's apparent that this boosts the economy for this town for a few days. Dude, so they actually had that number put on the results for this year, and that town had a $1.69 million impact scene. <laughs> That's awesome, right? All in the sense of celebration and steampunk. But y'all really should check out the photos I include on the Instagram at this festival, in the festival Instagram itself. Really, you see a wide variety of characters that fit the year's theme, of the Time Traveler Soiree, which our guest will explain. Chan Oi is the creator of the Romero Steampunk Festival, and he truly put a lot of thought and consideration when putting together a festival that also made sure to be inclusive for all individuals. So let's start that interview up. Hello, Chan Oi. I'm really honored to be given the opportunity to speak with with the creator of the festival. How are you today?
1: I'm really good, thanks, Jacob.
0: Can you give me a bit of a history of yourself?
1: I basically moved to the country from Melbourne um, four years ago. So I ran a restaurant in a suburb in Melbourne called Yarraville and Docklands for 20 years. It's a Cambodian restaurant. So after 20 years, I suppose I got burnt out physically, mentally, spiritually, and I needed a tree change. So hence moved to the country in Dumbulla, which was around about three and a half hours from Melbourne. Big move, um, but I needed a change. I needed a new creative project. So so um, my partner and myself bought an old bank building in town, in the middle of town, and we turned it into the Dumbulla Imaginarium. So that was four years ago. So, did you always know about
0: steampunk, or was it fairly new to you before you created the festival?
1: Look, um, I was aware of steampunk through literature. So, so I, you know, I like books, and of course, steampunk is a literary genre. I, you know, it's a uh, science fiction genre, and I've always been drawn to the nineteenth-century aesthetics. So, the Jambul Imaginarium is, a, is in a way, I touch on nineteenth-century aesthetics because I. The, the shop is got 19th century elements. It's like a, a bit of a, a traditional museum come drawing room. So it has those elements of the 19th century. So, so I've always been aware of it and drawn to it, but I've never actually been to a steampunk festival. Um, so when the opportunity came up, cause I wanted to create a street party in the, in the town um, because nothing ha- much happens at night so so jamie and i thought well we want to create a street party but of course you know wanting to embellish it a bit and and make it a bit more magical we thought well let's throw in the steampunk theme um because we discovered when we bought this building an old photograph of when the bank building opened up in 1909 and in the shot 250 male customers were assembled in front of the building for a photograph one of the gentlemen at the front had a top hat on so unfortunately that with that picture excluded women excluded the aborigines in town but he also excluded the chinese customers that banked here so when i saw that picture i thought well you know what i want to see Dimbola full of top hats again but this time around to be more inclusive
0: so chan had sent me an article on abc australia's website talking about the festival and on that article i got to see the picture he's talking about The National Bank of Australia Limited was built in 1909, and in the picture you really see all these men crammed in this wide shot of the bank. There's also a stack of planks and bricks in front of it too, almost like they had leftovers. Or maybe they were continuing to build onto the bank, it's a pretty interesting shot. And although I could appreciate the history, it's only right to acknowledge the racism there was at this time.
1: I'll link the article in the show notes so you can see the photo. So, so my version of the Steampunk Festival is about being inclusive of every um, ethnicity, sexuality, age group, because Steampunk as a genre, from what I've observed, is very monocultural because it's all, I guess, based around Victoriana, colonialism, imperialism. So therefore it has that monocultural look to it. And being Cambodian, I thought, well, you know what, um, it needs a multicultural angle to it. So the Wimmera Steampunk Festival is quite unique in the sense that I deliberately focus on diversity, um, you know, encouraging multicultural groups within the Wimmera, which is a region in Victoria, to, to celebrate diversity and to make it more inclusive. So, so it, because I've never been to a steampunk event, I guess I'm starting from a fresh um, slate Um, So, it's my interpretation of what the Wimmera Steampunk event should be and that is to be totally inclusive.
0: I see. And why do you think people find this aesthetic appealing?
1: Because it's a classic look. So, when you look at um, pop culture and you look at all the movies and um, people can relate to that period because, you know, they're still um, rehashing that look. It's a classic familiar look, I guess is romantic, um, but of course, because it's um, science fiction based, um, fantasy based, you can reinterpret it to how you want it to be. So, so I guess we've seen is about reinterpreting the past to be a better place, um, but when you throw in science fiction um, and fantasy to it, you can embellish and recreate something that suits your personality. And that's what's appealing about steampunk, because when you compare it to cosplay, where you're you're acting out or, or reproducing a certain look that's done um, by mainstream um, pop culture, steampunk you've still got a bit of creative license to to create your own character, and that's I think what makes it appealing too, because you're a on one level you're upcycling, recycling. Um, materials to create a new look and it's about expressing your own personality and, and individuality as opposed to copying a character that's been created by someone else i see
0: and Jen, i understand that you dress up for the event as well right i did i, I, I guess i have
1: to <laughs> so so <laughs> you can't go wrong with a classic pie top hat um because that to me is a very classic look, um, it exaggerates the you know the look of, of 19th century aesthetics, so yeah, so I dressed up as well.
0: <laughs> is it the same outfit every year, or do you try to mix it up?
1: Well, well you know, it's only been two years, so last year was the in, inaugural event, and because where I live, the m- great majority didn't know what steampunk was. I treat it as a social experiment. I thought, well, you know, we're having a street party, but we're really, I want to throw in some creativity into it. Um, So I really, you know, I did call it a social experiment to manage my expectation because it could have failed as a first time event. Um, But because we had COVID come through and it disrupted society all over the world. And I think what COVID did is make you recalibrate your outlook on life. So maybe that had a a role into it because um, our first event had to be postponed because of the lockdowns that we had in Victoria. So that worked in our advantage because um, it gave people more time to research what steampunk was and also for them to plan their outfit. So when it did come around um, after the lockdown, it's like people embraced it wholeheartedly and you could sense the euphoria that night it was quite phenomenal to see people dress up, but this joy in their faces. Um, so I think it, the timing was perfect. I think post COVID um, no people just embraced it. And what can I say? Um, we had over two and a half thousand people for the first time event. And apparently that's unheard of for an unknown first time event. Um, we had an instant audience. Um, so this year, so basically after last year's event, because of the success and response, I thought, well, let's do another one straight away, meaning the year after, while it's hot, while people are excited and that they caught on something new. So this year, we um, pretty much attracted uh, over 4,000 people this time around. And we have people from all over Australia. Yeah, all over Australia. And we had one gentleman fly out from Singapore because he saw the news item, because the event was covered on national news um, last year. And and also a news article, it reached as far as South Korea, France, and Spain. So because it was a feel good story, um, um, it got um, worldwide attention. And because of that, yeah, we had our first international guests arrive this year from Singapore. But then I heard subsequently as well, we had someone else from England arrive as well. So so it so it's really only just the second time um, because of the work involved and the um the scale we basically quadrupled the space of the event um that meant also I quadrupled the work so we're going to go every two years after this one it's so much work and also the next one i'm a little bit ambitious i we have themes. so this year's theme was the time travelers soiree um, and next the next one will be the carnival the peculiarities so, wow. uh, I, need, yeah, I need time to turn Dimboola into a 19th century carnival.
0: But I understand the local businesses actually really look forward to this event, yeah?
1: The local businesses benefited from the event um, immensely. So, to give you an example, um, there's a gentleman in town. He had a gift shop and he's been around for 20 years in Dimbula. Um Dimboola is a small country town. I guess um, it's an agricultural setting and the town sort of like slowly went to decline in the 80s when they put a a freeway bypass. So the town really declined a lot and became a sleepy hollow. Now this gentleman had a gift shop and he's been around for 20 years and he said last year's event, he had his best trading ever. Now that was last year. This year, he said this year beat last year. So for, for <laughs> a man that's been in town for 20 years, the steampunk event, yeah, has boosted his business. It's his best trading ever. So so he is a very happy man. Um, sure. The local community groups, the, the country, um, so the Country Women's Association, they do Devonshire teas and all that. Last year's event, they tripled their bank account.
0: Oh, so my from goodness. from an
1: event's perspective, the number of people that came into town and spent money um really benefited now the person that didn't benefit was me now the reason being i can't run the event and open the shop at the same time so so people say oh you know they they're doing this to line their own pockets well the actual reality is the complete opposite um we actually didn't because we were running the event sure and even this year, we could not open the shop because we could not handle the number of people coming to town. And also I was physically on the street running the event. So, so yeah, so that dismiss that theory, um, but everyone else benefits greatly. Um, economic tourism development um, is a boost. The event is a boost for the area because um, people came from outside and spent on average three nights in town and also the surrounding towns as well. So the economic benefit has flowed onto the other towns as well.
0: Wow. That's so cool. Tripling their bank account. Wow. Yes. That's amazing. Just in one night,
1: huh?
0: (laughs) So who are some of the musical guests you typically see at the festival?
1: So, so once again, um, because it's, in his early days, because last year wasn't social experiment. This year was learning from last year. So this year, I created three stages um, in complete in three different settings and with 12 bands. Um, most of those bands um, sort of like um, came back from last year because they had such a good time. They wanted to come back. And then some additional new bands as well. So one of the new ones was the Royal Hijinx. They, they specialize in world um, folk music. So it has a sort of like a gypsy element to it. Um, mm-hmm. And they did a steampunk number called Steampunk Sundays, and, and they were recommended to me by other people who've seen them perform. So, so yeah, that's just one example. So the Royal High Jinx, and then of course, we've got specialized bands called, um, that specialize in steampunk music, um, is the um, Alchemy of Rhythm from South Australia. So, so we have bands that are local as well. So Head Rush from Horsham um, and then um, Del Escape from Caniva, which is another town not far away. But then of course we have bands from Melbourne, the Blackbirds at Sea, um, Del Cinque, and then of course um, South Australia, which is the, the um, Alchemy of Rhythm. So it was really merging um, the, reg- the region where I'm in at the moment, but also Melbourne and, and Adelaide. Um, this event, is the closest steampunk event for South Australians, which is the neighbouring state. So, so yes, yeah, quite a few of them came on board this year to attend the event. <laughs> wow! And there's also a flash mob part that occurs here, correct? Yes. Yeah. So the very first one last year, I um, invited the multicultural group in Horsham to do a flash mob and they did two numbers. So one was a Bollywood dance and the other one was a sort of a, a pop culture number. Um, uh, two Unlimited, back in the 90s, they did, um, ooh, I did, I think the name of the song was Overdrive. So they brought in a motorbike and they did a, a really cool number. They they really were the highlights of the event last year. And once again, I invite them again this year. And this year, because the theme was, the Time Traveler Soiree, um, the Melbourne, sorry, the Horsham Band Head Rush suggested they do the Time Warp um, from the Rocky Horror Show. Oh. (laughs) So you can imagine a multicultural group in regional Victoria, um, pretty much a wheat belt area, doing the Time Warp. And of course, other people that know the dance would join in as well. So, so that was what we did this year in terms of the flash mob. They also threw in their own traditional dance as well because we wanted a, you know, a, a multicultural feel um, for the event and it was, it was really important that they made feel welcome.
0: So what kind of inspired you to create the theme, the Time Traveler Soiree?
1: Because last year, um, a, a guy came in a World, War, a World War II uniform with a World War II bike, so a 1940s motorcycle. He fitted in, He looked really cool. Um, it's like, okay, and I thought, well, you know what? For next year, I'm gonna incorporate um, time traveling only because some people may not have access to a top hat um, or for some guys, I, you know, I've heard they you know, are uncomfortable, maybe looking dandy in that sense, but they wouldn't mind coming as, you know, from the apocalypse in the future. So there's sort of like ideas that pop into my head thinking, okay, well, let's give time travel a go because don't forget time traveling is possible in the 19th century when you look at the, sure. you know, the, the movie machine and the book um, by hg wells you know the time machine as well so really it's 19th century time travel so it's also to broaden the appeal for people who who want to dress up what they feel you know that would tickle their fancy i suppose um so it's just to broaden the appeal.
0: man (laughs) chan's creativity is through the roof when he birthed this festival in hopes of it being inclusive I was already enamored at the emotion. Then for him to create a theme that helps people be a part of the party without having to don the traditional top hat or brass and leather intricacies. Ooh, I like that word. Intricacies, intricacies. (laughs) And it sounds like Chan had some
1: creative attendees. Um, And it worked. So we had, this year we had two Martians. We had a Chinese emperor. (laughs) Uh, we had, of course, and all this has worked really well with nineteenth-century um, costumes because, in theory, you know, there's no reason why a Martian couldn't time travel to the nineteenth century, Dumbula. Yeah, <laughs> it it's just worked. It's just just giving people uh, something to think about, uh, but also just to be playful. So, um, yes, yeah, so the majority is still nineteenth-century aesthetics, but thrown in with the, into the mix, just some quirky costumes because we want it to be inclusive and we want people to feel comfortable that they can come in in another outfit. Um, So that's basically what it was. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. What a creative idea. So at this
0: festival, what do you think was the fan favorite?
1: Oh, okay. Look, the fan favorite, this year I invited the Dumbula and Lutheran Primary Schools to create lanterns. For them to do a lantern procession, so and then on top of that, um, the Horsham Rural City Band wanted wanted to march with the children to Lady Gaga's Poker Face, so a ah. really odd combination. But they appeared sure. around about eight thirty. They marched down the street, so the band led the way. And they had um, glowing lights, you know, in their um, in their uniform, in their hats, but also around their musical instruments. So they all glowed down the street. And then behind them followed the children, different ages and sizes, holding different styles of lanterns, and they glowed, because it's a nighttime event. Because I think nighttime creates that sense of magic and, and escapism that you can that you can achieve. But not in convention centers. When you look at all the cosplay events around the world, they're held in convention centers. It hasn't got the same magic when you do it in the in the open air under the stars and in and you know at nighttime. So it glowed. So the children really um, moved people. So it's given us the idea that maybe in two years' time that they actually lead a procession to open up the event. So just bear in mind, I've never you know, been to a steampunk event or created a street party before or a festival. So it's been a learning curve. So every year where we're learning and, and of course, um, becoming slightly more ambitious. So so I think for the third one, there will be a procession based on what we experienced, that it works, that they can kickstart early on to open the event. So that, that was a surprise hit, having the Children's Lantern Procession march with the um, Horsham Rural City Band. Um, also another element of surprise was the lighting. So for example, we had the laser projections onto our building, the Imaginarium, which is a classic Renaissance style architecture. And then opposite it, we've got a new park that just opened. And we had a special guy that had special lighting equipment that's interactive. So when you um, strum the strings, the vibrations will be reflected on the wall. Um so that was a surprise hit as well that created a sense of magic um, uh, and escapism for the event so people enjoyed that so it's about creating atmosphere um, yeah. so things that aren't you know things that aren't ordinary mm-hmm. so it's really a one night of escapism so it's fantasy based escapism and and that all achieved that result I suppose great.
0: And Chan, these past couple festivals, what do you think was your favorite
1: part? My favorite part is to see people smile and be happy. So so the genesis of the, the street party was to bring people together to have a good time and to have fun. So for me, even though I was running around like crazy, sorting out all the issues that comes with running an event, for me, just to stop and just look at people's smile and, and see their joy. And you see, you can almost feel the euphoria. To me, that that is the crust of it. That's the most important element. But then when you throw in costume and light, you, you sort of create another world. And I think that they're the bonus elements, but really ultimately this event is about bringing happiness again, for people to experience joy, but also reconnecting with each other. Um, seeing people, strangers interact with each other, because the costumes, allow you to break the boundaries and strike strike up conversations. So when you dress up, what I've noticed is that you become the event. Um, it enables you to you know, stop a stranger and compliments, so, oh my goodness, you look really good. Um, can I take a picture with you? So this doesn't happen on a normal day-to-day basis, but this event enables people to engage with each other as humans again. And as you know, the, the bigger the city that you live in, the more impersonal it gets. People don't really say hello to each other. But this event enables you to have those basic human experiences again that we've lost through modern society, I suppose, um, and that's the greatest joy for me to see from this event.
0: Great. Do you have any advice for anyone who is considering attending the Wormera Steampunk
1: Festival? advice for them um what I've been telling people when they come to the shop and I inform them about the event I said please do not hold back go all the way do not hold back by conservatism or what society thinks this is the one night where you're allowed to be who you want to be wholeheartedly and do not hold back who you think you are, um, because this is a safe platform where we encourage individuality, creativity and your imagination. So that's my advice.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Chan. Is uh, where can people learn more about the festival?
1: So at the moment, um, it's the Wimmerous Theme Steampunk Festival Facebook page or Instagram. Um, we've got some money left over to create a, a web page but that's gonna take us a few months to do so. So just be patient, Um, you know, setting up a webpage costs money and time. So we do have that now, thank goodness, post event, but we need to engage in some professionals who can help set that up for us. So that's the next level The the webpage will come, but in the meantime, just Instagram, Facebook, the Wimmera Steampunk Festival.
0: Okay, thank you.
1: Well, thank you, Jacob.
0: Well, I wanted to learn more about the artists that make an appearance at the Steampunk Festival. So I checked out the past event schedule and I came across a Steampunk author by the name of Karen Carlyle. She had attended the festival and she loved being able to talk about her works for both past, present and future. I was able to have her answer some questions for me. Karen Carlyle, can you tell me how you initially discovered your fascination with Steampunk?
2: I came to steampunk via a very circuitous route actually. I have a background in science and art. I love history and I love costuming and I love Sherlock Holmes. So I already had a fascination for the 19th century as it's on the cusp of a boom in new scientific discoveries and exploration. But there's still the fascination with supernatural and legend. In the 1980s, there were books like The Difference Engine by William Gibson, which explored the effect of the new 19th century technologies on society, which I could relate to as technology and I have a bit of a love-hate relationship. Then in the late 1990s, there were movies and then later again TV shows with this steampunk aesthetic. I loved the combination of history, fantasy and fiction. It just ticked all my boxes, so you've got science, art and costuming, but at the time I didn't know it had a name. I made my first official steampunk outfit for the local Australian Costumers Guild Ball in 2007, I think, and discovered there was a steampunk community out there, both local and international. I found an online group of steampunk authors called Scribblers Den, which was on a forum way back then, and discovered there was huge festivals like the one in Omeroo in New Zealand and the Asylum Steampunk Festival in Lincoln, UK. From there, I gravitated from Renaissance historical reenactment, which I did for well over 20 years, and towards steampunk as it allowed me for more whimsy and I could have fun twisting history, not just recreating it. And I stayed because of the welcoming community. Then I started creating steampunk worlds and writing books. And here I am.
0: And I understand you have a reading prepared for us. Can you tell us what we're getting ready here?
2: Today I'm reading from Department of Curiosities. Uh, Book one is For the Good of the Empire and it's being relaunched on the 1st of July. The Department of Curiosities is a straight up steampunk adventure. It's set in 1883 and I put my spin on some historical incidents involving Queen Victoria. The main character, Tilly Merriweather, lives with her aunt in London and isn't happy with the society's restrictions on women in the 19th century. We first meet her when she's searching for information about her father. And she meets a stranger who introduces her to a world of gadgets, intrigue and secret societies. The scene I'm going to read is from Chapter 18 and it's Scene 3. The scene begins with them in a dirigible and they're about to jump out the bottom of the dirigible onto a train to catch the bad guy. By Chapter 18, Tilly has actually joined the Department of Curiosities. This scene has most of the main players. It has Tilly, Sir Avery, who is the stranger she met in Chapter 1 and introduced her to the department. We have the head of the department, the general, and Harrow, his PA, I suppose you call him. There's mention of Tilly's broken rib. In a previous incident, she'd hurt that and she's still recovering. There's also the Ghost Men mentioned, and they are the villain's henchmen. They have grey skin and eyes and don't talk, for reasons I won't say, because that's a spoiler. We also have the orb, which is a pendant that Tilly wears. It's probably mm, Victorian science slash almost fantasy in the way it works. Tilly found it in an adventure previous to the book, and it seems to have this sixth sense and this telepathic or psychic connection with her. And when they talk, uh, I say it in whispers because they're actually talking in Tilly's head and other people can't actually hear her or it. Six strapping men, some of England's finest, each wore a harness wrapped around their torso. A lifeline of thick silk rope attached them securely to the winch. They were armed with pistols, grappling hooks and devilish looking knives. Strapped to their backs were oversized blunderbusses, a silver ball jutted from one side surrounded by brass tubes which crawled along the rifle's barrel to the muzzle. A mini grappling hook perched on top of the barrel end, its cord funnelled along the tube back to a cartridge on the other side of the rifle body. The troops eagerly jostled each other as they circled a large hatch in the floor of the hull. They checked their equipment, donned their goggles and ready to jump into oblivion below. The hatch intrigued her, as did the large brass winch secured to the floor near its rim. So Avery checked the gauges on the body of the winch assembly and swallowed. The colour drained from his face, and he resembled a wide-eyed ghostman. His moustache twitched. It quivered, said the orb. Don't be horrible, said Tilly. If you can't say something nice, then don't speak at all, or I'll ask the general to bring his cane. The orb shuddered. The corner of her mouth curled in satisfaction. She had finally discovered something to curb the orb's increasing bullying. ''Are we not going to join them?'' she asked Sir Avery. He stared at the floor hatch and didn't reply. ''Reckless!'' said the orb. ''Not your choice!'' she said. The orb fell silent. The door behind them clanked. The men snapped to attention. There was a faint chuckle beside her ear. Yes, you are going, my dear, said the General. We get to fly, Tilly squealed with delight. How? Sir so Avery managed only a weak smile. You get these. Harris stepped into view, carrying a large cylindrical contraption on each arm. Personal flying machines. Confiscated from an Australian smuggler, said the General. So Avery relieved Harrow of one of the flying machines and held it at arm's length. The cylinder contains a pressurised gas... His words faded as Tilly ogled the gas cylinders. So shiny. She could see her own reflection in their brilliance. She ran her hands along the pipes and grabbed the harness. How do I put it on? She spun around, slipped her arms through the harness straps and pulled the contraption onto her back. Sir Avery halted his lecture and blinked. His hands, still holding the harness straps, now encircled her waist. Her bustle nudged his arm as she snapped the ends of the straps from his hand and buckled up the harness. He took a quick step backwards, transferring his hands to the cradle, the gas tanks, until the snaps were secure. The colour had returned to his cheeks. Harrow handed Sir Avery the second personal flying machine. So Avery donned the contraption and demonstrated how to adjust the pack to sit securely. You're not accompanying us, Harrow, she asked. I have my orders, he replied. I am to stay here with the General. The personal flying machines are restricted to those with lower level clearance. Harrow's face remained fixed, showing no emotion. He was up to something. The orb jittered eyed Harrow out of the corner of her eye. She was not comfortable with leaving him alone with the general, in such close proximity of a gaping hole, hundreds of feet above the countryside. Harrow smiled at her. It he was faint, but it was there. What should I do? The orb did not reply. She frowned. This time she wanted its opinion. She glanced at the general's cane and frowned. Blessings could also be curses. Sir Avery jiggled the gas canisters and tapped the pressure gauge. Tilly relaxed her muscles, trying to look as calm as possible, and returned her attention to the personal flying machine. How do I start it? she asked Sir Avery. First, we... he swivelled two metal pipe handles over her head. They clicked into place. She grasped them. Steering? she asked. Yes, he replied. Just apply pressure in the direction you wish to travel. She pushed forward. The handles moved under her guidance. This, he indicated a switch at the bottom of the main body of the pack, is the ignition switch, and this, he indicated a large button on the right side of the pack, about elbow height. This will get you back to the ground if you lose power. Tilly grinned. It seemed simple enough. The general stepped forward. Miss Merriweather and gentlemen, I will remind you this is a retrieval mission. I have direct orders from Her Majesty. We need the inventor alive. He turned to his troops. And intact, is that understood? The men nodded. Once he is retrieved and you are clear of the train, little Nessie will descend to facilitate your extraction. He turned to Harrow. There is an extra flying machine prepared for you. Stop the train if there is any danger to the passengers. Harrow narrowed his eyelids. Sir, he said, I thought, change of plan. We need to ensure the safety of the other passengers on board. This is your priority. Harrow slipped on the flying machine and clicked the harness in place. Miss Waryweather, you are to accompany Sir Avery to the first class to apprehend the inventor. The rest of the men will keep the ghost men from interfering. There was a murmur of assent. She carefully lifted her goggles over her head, hoping it would not disrupt her coiffure, and wrangled a ringlet back in place. The dirigible and the general would be safer with Harrow on the ground, though she had preferred to have someone accompanying him, to keep an eye on him. The floor vibrated beneath her feet. A loud ratcheting echoed through the hold. A jet of air rushed through the crack at the rim of the hatch. The crack widened slowly as the hatch slid open in front of them. Wind roared beneath them, whistling at the edge of the gaping moor. Harris stepped forward towards the hull hatch, flicked the ignition switch and stepped in the chasm. He hovered for a second, then plummeted out of sight. She leaned forward and watched as he turned and sped northward towards the engine as it neared the bridge. Little Nessie was now directly above the middle carriage, almost in position to drop the rest of her human cargo. So Avery closed his eyes and ignited the flying machine, He winced as it rumbled into life, then took a deep breath and edged towards the hatch. Tilly flicked the switch on her own contraption. A dull twinge ripped her ribcage as the initial vibration knocked on her spine. She took a not too deep breath and struggled to relax her muscles in her torso. The vibration settled into a gentle rim. The twinge eased until only a mild irritation. So Avery leaned close to her. "'Are your ribs still causing discomfort, Miss Worryweather?' he whispered. "'You should inform the General.' "'They are healing as expected,' she replied. "'There is no need to bother the General.' He nodded. "'Very well, then. Follow me, Miss Worryweather. Into the heavens.' He stepped into the air, screwed his eyelids shut, and lowered himself out of sight. Tilly stepped up to the edge. Her skirts fluttered in the churning air currents. "'Oh dear, I didn't think this through.' She grabbed the back of her overskirt and with each hand folded the edges forward, tugging them tight to tie a knot, and tucked the ends into the harness strap. then stepped forward and descended into the void.
0: After that reading, I'm totally down to read about Tilly's adventures. And what a lovely voice, though. Well, like I mentioned before, she was a part of the Steampunk Festival, so I had to get her opinions on it.
2: Yes, I enjoyed the Dimbula Steampunk Festival immensely although I didn't like the five-hour drive. For those who aren't in Australia, I'm in Adelaide, which is South Australia, and Dimboola is in the middle of Victoria, which is a different state, and it takes five hours to get there by car. Dimboola is a friendly town, and they've got this really cool Victorian pub, which is just gorgeous inside. All the shops and people seem to have really got into the spirit and were decorated up, the event was mainly a big street party, and there were stalls and many creators and costumes. There was a light show on the wall of the Dimbula Imaginarium, and there was music and some good bands. I was there for my books, and I did a talk on the Sunday at the Dimbula Imaginarium, which is run by the organiser of the event. And it was a full house, so I was pretty excited by that. The great thing about steampunk events is the community can get involved and it's family-friendly and inclusive. I made new friends, which you usually do at steampunk events. That's why I like them.
0: I'm hyped about getting a hold of Karen, to be honest. And I will be including her socials in the show notes for sure because I do believe she has some great works getting ready to come out. There you have it. A festival that brings people together to celebrate a whole timeline and universe mixed with imagination and science. Just like Chan said, a whole world is being created for a few nights in a small town in less than 2,000. I can't help but think that Chan is sort of like the Willy Wonka of Dimbula, This man that comes out annually from his Imaginarium to put together a festival for the people to bring out their hearts and minds. That's kind of fun to think about, huh? And it's great to see that the influences of steampunk have reached the literature world with Karen Carlyle in Adelaide. I gotta say, Chan really has something going here. And Karen had actually passed my info along to the Adelaide steampunk Aetherfest. So it is clear that the steampunk scene is making its way across Australia. You know, there was actually a small steampunk gathering just down the road from my place a month ago. It came across my Facebook timeline when I was looking up events in my area. Unfortunately, it was on my work day, but just to know that steampunk even has a presence on this side of the globe is really something. And you know, sometimes getting away to a fantasy world is just what we need. Think about some of our greatest stories. Oftentimes, the protagonists leave into a world where nothing is familiar, yet exciting. Luke Skywalker, Jake Sully, the Time Traveler, are one of my favorites. Michael Jordan and Space Jam. So to be gathered on a night where you might not know what you're going to see, who you're going to meet, and when you're going to see, there's a chance you might feel like you're the protagonist of an imaginary world. A big thanks goes out to Karen Carlisle and Chan Oi for allowing me to talk about the steampunk world and the festival celebrating it all. And listeners, that concludes the last festival covered for season one of Viva La Pestiva. (laughs) Jeez, what is there to say? I mean, I've spent close to eight months working on this podcast, and I learned so much. So season two will be a bit rushed, but in a good way. For starters, I will not make that timeline mistake like I did earlier this season, And to avoid that, I will be grinding on episodes in a small time frame and releasing those episodes in order of recording. Honestly, the roster is full already. (laughs) Yeah, like, I already have Season 2 booked. All episodes, bi-weekly, until July. (laughs) That's crazy, right? Well, that's because there's always something to celebrate, somewhere in the world. And I think that's important for you to understand. And no, I'm not just saying that because I'm an optimist, because I know the world can be a dark place sometimes. We all experienced some kind of hardship in twenty nineteen. I think in one way or another, we lost something. Maybe a loved one, maybe trust, maybe our job, or maybe an outlook. But you want to know something? We didn't lose festivals. And festivals need people. And they need compassion. And they need you. I think another reason why I loved hearing festival organizers say that their favorite thing is the people it's because I love people too. I think people are pretty interesting, especially when it comes to their ability to celebrate something. Well, thank you for listening everyone. And I hope you enjoyed the rest of 2023. Stay tuned for after our little ending jingle to hear about a steampunk podcast. That's cool, huh? But before you go, please, please, please check out festivals around your area and discover something new for me. This is Jacob with Viva La Festiva. Adios. The year is 1885, but not one that would be familiar to you.
1: Message for
2: you, sir. You know, it is tiresome having the world's greatest detective as one's mother. Don't be silly. What's the word? I have a half dozen armed with cutlasses.
0: cutlasses? These fine gentlemen behind us? Yes, Father. You and Gwendolyn deal with them? Yes, Father.
2: Ha! Hurrah! Target practice! No guns, you silly girl. This is an airship. Gwendolyn, are you all right, my dear? Cyril just knocked out my swordsman!
0: The continued security and stability of the Empire relies on your efforts. So, you know who I am.
2: I do. That's why I took your stick. Weapons out, men!
0: <laughs> but he's
2: gone! Nutschools, no idiots! We mustn't let him escape!
0: What is our next ritual?
2: Traditionally, it is walking out.
0: All right. Hang on!
2: Oh my!
0: Oh Albert, you're not a thing.
1: We are much amused. Join us in one week as we once again visit with the first family of the realm, Brass.